SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. If sports talk stations were cars, we'd be the one that you drove the wheels off of in high school, cruising for chicks and going to the game on Friday nights, then forgetting where you parked it till Saturday morning and you had to get your buddy to drive you around looking for it. I think I see it, man. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Hour two for Sports Grid Radio, Channel 204, pushing the odds here on a Thursday. Coming up, we'll talk to our friends in Pro Football Focus at 40 past to get into, well, the Carl Nassib thing. It's not over yet. A lot of more, a lot more NFL players are coming out in support of the Las Vegas Raiders defensive end. A division lineman who came out as gay this week, and really the story hasn't been as big of a deal as as it's been in the past, and that's probably a really good thing, that it's just sort of like, okay, and he's out, and now we can ask him a couple of questions at training camp, and then we move on to football, which is really a good sign, and I think a good thing as to where we are as a country and where we are with football, so... I think we've all known that there have been gay players in the NFL for quite some time now. It's just Carl Nassif is the first one to formally come out and say, yes, I'm openly gay and I'm playing in the NFL and I have a contract. And I'm going to be on the Raiders next year. So it's it's a little bit of a, a of a new story, but I don't think it's as big of a one as it would have been, say, like 10 years ago, uh, You know, given where we are here. Uh, with with gay rights and where we are with American you know acceptance of of what you want for your lifestyle, which is a really good thing. So we'll get to that coming up at forty past. But let's talk quickly here about Robin Leonard, who appears to be the starter tonight for the Vegas Golden Knights against the Montreal Canadiens. And is Mark Andre Fleury tired, or is Mark Andre Fleury tired plus the fact that well he has not played great in this series? Robin Leonard played very well. In the one game he's played so far in this series, he played in game four in the must-win situation, and you know Vegas won 2-1 to one in overtime. Can Robin Leonard do it again tonight to save the bacon of the Vegas Golden Knights against the Montreal Canadiens? I don't see it personally, just because I don't think the goaltending has been the problem. The problem for Vegas is their offense. The problem is their top two lines really haven't performed the way that you want them to. And, and I have to say, and I've been talking about this a little bit over the last couple of days, I really wonder if Mark Stone is healthy because he has been just a complete ghost in this series, and he's the captain for Vegas. And when that guy's not producing and that guy's not scoring, Vegas really has a hard time generating offense. And you can't have your defense, you know, your your defenseman like Alex Petrangelo being your number one offensive scoring weapon. Now it's great to have you know a guy at the point who can. You know, generate offense, who can score goals, who can pinch in and create scoring opportunities. But, you know, the most dangerous player for Vegas in this series has been, you know, Petrangelo. And that's not what you want from Vegas. So you need more from your forwards. You need more from your centers. And you need more from your stars, for that matter. And, I mean, Vegas looks shell-shocked. They, they look like they've lost all their confidence. Their power play is a complete and total joke right now. They keep on giving up odd man rushes, which is it, it might be the most impressive thing about Montreal is that they force you to press. They force you, because of Carey Price and because of the style of play that they that they implement, 
that they frustrate you to the point where your defensemen start to pinch. And they get deeper and deeper into the zone. And then all of a sudden, a turnover happens, like what happened to Mark Stone at the blue line that really was the game-deciding goal in the last game, where you turn the puck over, and all of a sudden, it's an on-man rush to the other side, and you're dead. Like, you just don't have the numbers to stop the rush. And so, sloppy play, bad turnovers, no confidence, and the offense has been non-existent. I didn't name goaltending. I'm not putting this loss on Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm not putting this on Robin Leonard. I'm not putting this, although I think the head coach does deserve some blame here. I think Pete DeBoer does deserve some blame for not being able to find a way to generate offense. But, I mean, Montreal's just been the better team. I mean, bottom line, is the series over? No, the series is not over. And this is where Vegas has played well in the third period of these games where their backs were against the wall in game four. They were down one nothing. Their backs were against the wall in game number two. Uh, they played well in the third period. The backs were against the wall in the third period for game five. When they are you know, pu- pushed to the brink, this is when you do get the best out of Vegas. So maybe the Vegas Golden Knights play a great game tonight. I'm on the over five. I bet the under five last night. It pushed. I'm on the over five tonight. It very well could wind up pushing. I think it's a 3-2 win, one side or the other. I think there's a chance that we have like a 2-2 game going into overtime, and maybe Vegas can squeak it out, or maybe Montreal closes it up at home. I wouldn't bet a side on this game because I think it's really a razor's edge. I don't think there's much value. But Montreal's got the game in hand, so they know they can lose this game, and there's a game seven. Not saying they'll try to. But Vegas is going to be desperate, and the one thing why, another reason why I like the over is because there's a good chance that Vegas would pull the goalie early to leave the open net if it's a 3-1 game, you know, say it's somewhere, you know, five minutes to go in the third period, Vegas is going to pull the goaltender in a game where they could be eliminated, they're going to have an open net for quite a bit of time, and that very well could lead to an open net goal for Montreal, and then we get a push on the over five. So it's tough to bet unders for elimination games. If Tampa had won the game last night, the under probably comes in, or or the the under probably doesn't come in, probably goes to the over, but New York won the game, so it's a 3-2 win in overtime, and the push happens. So I think it's good when you're talking about games where one team could be eliminated to take the over five in that one if you think the team that's up is going to win. And I do think Montreal is going to win tonight. I don't think Vegas has the horses. I haven't seen enough spark, and and maybe they get a spark. But the first 10 minutes of this game, you're going to know, in my opinion, whether or not Vegas has a spark. Because the first, really, five games of this series, the Montreal Canadiens have won the first first 10 minutes, and they've scored in three of those uh, five games. And when they score early, they sit on the lead, and they're really, really hard to beat. The key goal tonight, Vegas better score first. If they don't score first, I'm not seeing it. Even though they did win without scoring first in Game 4, I still think it's a really tall mountain for them to climb here tonight. We have more to come here on a Thursday's Pushing the Odds. Our hard four stories are next. Coming to you 24. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
You're listening to Pushing the Odds. Powered by O'Reilly Auto Parts and Rocket Mortgage. And now, out of Las Vegas, Nevada, by way of Boston, Massachusetts, here he is, Matt Perron! So I saw something this morning, because as I do every day, I come out and I start to prep and I look around. Have you guys seen the head tattoo that Kevin Lee got, the MMA fighter for the UFC? It looks like it must have been the most painful thing. I mean, he got a helmet tattooed onto his head. Look, I'm all about body art. I've got three tattoos. I think they're phenomenal. I think it's interesting. I've had different thought processes as to like how do you tell the story of people's tattoos because I think the storytelling of why people put things on their body is fascinating as to what drove them to do it and what the symbolism is what's the meaning behind your tattoos I mean I have a talking tattoo on my body if you haven't ever seen one of those my tattoos talk it's 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 locked up to an app and it's my daughter's voice at four years old so when, it, when she turns 15, 25, 35, whatever, I'll always have my daughter's on a voice on a sound wave. And when you hold a certain application up to the sound wave for the, uh, for the, the, the tattoo, the app recognizes it and plays an MP3 that's my daughter's voice. So I'm, I'm all about it. I mean, I've got a tattoo of the city of Boston on my body. And so I, I am very much all about it. This is unbelievable. I could not imagine. He has a helmet tattooed all the way on the back of his head and on both sides of his head. It is one of the craziest tattoos I have ever seen. <laughs> and, I mean, look, the, tattoos are painful, but the thinner your skin is next to bone, the pain and the noise of getting a head tattoo, I couldn't imagine having that buzzing sound next to my ears vibrating my head in that way. Like, that is, I don't know how many hours it took to get this thing done, but, if, I mean, go look it out. If you go to MMAfighting.com, you can check out this Kevin Lee or just go to Motown Phenom on, uh, on Instagram. And you can see this tattoo, but it is wild. The neck portion of the tattoo looks pretty cool. But once it gets to the skull, um, yeah, <laughs> it is unbelievable. And the hours that it must have taken to get it done, yeah. Don't think I would have sat there having that needle pound my skull like that for however many hours it would take to get that thing done. But he's got that helmet for the rest of his life. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is, um, sure. <laughs> New York Times, by the way, reported um, that face tattoos are going mainstream. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not down on the face tattoo. Like, I, I'm, I'm, deal, I'm down with tattoos everywhere else. Face tattoos, eh, not so much. Like you got a whole, your whole body's a canvas. Like leave your face alone. Face tattoos, just yeah. I'm I'm just not seeing eye to eye on the face tattoo thing. But you know, to each his own. If you like it, that's great. We start this hour with the four big stories. We call this the hard four. 
It's time for the Hard Four on Pushing the Odds with Matt Peralt. So the Atlanta Hawks did it again. Last round, they stole game one from the Sixers and took home court. Now they take game one and they take home court from the Milwaukee Bucks last night as a 48-point performance from Trey Young led to a 116-113 victory for Atlanta as eight-point underdogs on the road. They win the game outright. Hawks are becoming a really big story in the sports world, and the betting public, there's already been some really big bets placed on the Hawks to win it all. That story is starting to become not so far-fetched for Atlanta to win the NBA championship. Trey Young was asked about the ceiling for this team and just how good could the Hawks be. I don't know who asked me a long time ago, uh, but I mean, I've I've been getting asked that a lot uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, and I, I told everybody then, like I didn't I didn't believe we had any ceiling. I think we can go as far as we want to, and uh, I don't think there is a ceiling unless you put the finals on it. So um, I, I believe in this team, and we all believe in each other. Number two, the Montreal Canadiens tonight will try to advance to the Cup Finals by knocking out the heavily favored Vegas Golden Knights in six games. But last night, the Islanders were able to stay alive by tying up their series at three games apiece. They tied the game at two in the third period. And then I'll let New York Islander Radio tell you what happened in overtime. Letty wristing it around the wall on the Tampa end. Far side to near. Lightning reverse it near side to far, but give it away. Bailey couldn't hold his own. Turnover in tight. Somebody stepping on a part of that guy's body. <laughs> how does your voice go there? <laughs> the octave change. <laughs> but that's how fired up that barn was last night. If that's the last game ever at the Nassau Coliseum, they got a beaut. What a what a win for the Islanders. Number three, the Phoenix Suns are getting their men back tonight. Chris Paul is probable he's playing. Suns are one-and-a-half point favorite tonight. Stick a 3-0 lead in their best-of-seven series against the Clippers. Now, L.A. went down 0-2 in both their series before this, but it just feels like the Suns are a different kind of problem for the Clippers. Paul George was asked about taking on this team for the Suns with CP3 returning. We got to do our we got our game plan. You know, we'll game plan for when CP's back. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think Cameron Payne is, has, I'm not going to say he's as good or he's on the same level as CP in no way, but um, I think without CP here, campaign and Cameron Payne has done an unbelievable job of filling in um, for CP. And so, um, you know, we're going to have to, uh, um, you know, game plan around CP. Fourth and finally, the best rivalry in baseball continues to be the Dodgers and the Padres. And right now, San Diego's feeling really good. After a three-game sweep, L.A. got swept for the first time by the Padres in San Diego. First time since 2010 that has happened. A 5-3 win last night. Trevor Bauer on the mound for the Dodgers. He takes the loss. And boy, after the game, Dodgers angry. Bauer angry at the three-game sweep. Oh, they're good. I mean, we know they're good. They got a lot of talent in their lineup. They got a lot of talent in the pitching staff. A good team. Um, and they absolutely kicked our ass in the intensity, uh, from the intensity standpoint. Like they came to play and we didn't. So 
it's what happens in baseball. Come out and you know, try to attack the other team and try to win. Um, and when you don't have that mindset, then you, you get rolled. And um, yeah, we got rolled. Those are our four big stories on a Thursday's Pushing the Odds, 702-751. Matt is our text line, 702-751-6288 to jump in here. Opening line on the Hawks winning the NBA championship. It was a laughable comment a month ago. Come on. The Atlanta Hawks? What? No, Trey Young is six foot one, third year in the league. This dude's not winning at all. He's got to go through Brooklyn and Giannis and maybe, you know, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron. Nah, ain't happening. Now, they're in the final four. They're three games away from winning the Eastern Conference and playing for the NBA championship where they might see the Phoenix Suns. And if they play the Phoenix Suns, is it that far-fetched that Atlanta could win the series? They match up really well with the Phoenix Suns. Now, if they knock out the Milwaukee Bucks, which I'm still not sure they're going to do that, but if they do, they will have gone through Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee took care of Brooklyn for them, but they would have gone through two of the top three teams in the East to get there. Why couldn't they beat Phoenix? Why couldn't they win it all? It is unbelievable to say that, but the Hawks to win it all is live. Opening line on that next year. I'm pushing the odds. The Athletic Live Odds. Live. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. tired of losing on FanDuel and DraftKings, it's time to learn how to climb the leaderboards from the game's best DFS player. Whether it's easy-to-use projections and lineup building tools, or sophisticated slate simulations and ownership projections, Daily Roto can help both the casual and experienced fantasy player realize their edge. Dunk on the competition on FanDuel and DraftKings with DailyRoto.com. Start your 30-day free trial with a promo radio and become Daily Roto's next Daily Fantasy Millionaire. That's DailyRoto.com. Promo if code radio. Line. Starts now. So how are we going to find an answer for this man right here? Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh no, he did a little shake no, on his shoulder. No, he did three. No, he didn't. He just shook his shoulders. <laughs> little shuffle. What? Doing a little bank out bounce right there. Are you kidding me? Oh, he'd be so comfortable with your household. Yes, he would. Level of this dude is off the charts. The Hawks are live to win it all, guys. This is unbelievable to me. Opening line on this. When the Atlanta Hawks were up 3-2 to two on the Philadelphia 76ers, two bets came in at BetMGM that were notable, but everyone kind of went, yeah, right. Two bets. One, a $10,000 wager to win $1.5 million 
on the Atlanta Hawks at plus 15,000 to win the NBA championship. Everyone's like, <laughs> throwing away 10 grand, man. And then a 10K bet came in on the Hawks to win the Eastern Conference at plus 5,000, which would have which will return, if it wins, $500,000. 10K to win 1.5 mil, 10K to win 500. If both happen, you're betting 20K to win $2 million. How would you like to be sitting on that ticket right now, or both those tickets right now, with the Hawks up 1-0? Our boys at PropSwap would be saying, come sell that. <laughs> like, we'll take that ticket. Let's go shop that. Let's see what it's worth right now. Up one nothing. What would somebody pay you right now for an Atlanta Hawks to win the NBA championship ticket right now? What would you get for that ticket? If you had a 10K ticket that would have win $1.5 million, what could you get? You'd get at least a half a mil, at least $500,000 right now. They're seven wins away from cashing that $10,000 ticket to win $1.5 million. Three wins away from cashing the $500,000 winning ticket on a $10,000 bet. The Atlanta Hawks are built differently. This team is, and we've talked about this before, when you take on the personality of your best team. We talked about the Clippers being laissez-faire because of Kawhi Leonard, and then they have to turn it on after going down 0-2 now for a third consecutive series. Oh, okay, now we got to play. Now we got to wake up, right? The Bucks are in the same category. The fire, the intensity, it's just not really there with Giannis. That's not who he is. Giannis' is personality, he's more, he's a gigantic human being, but he's not a gigantic personality. He wants to win. He's extremely passionate to go out there and win. But there's a different type of conversation going on about who Giannis is as a person, as a personality, right? So here is Trey Young, who is on the road in his first ever Eastern Conference Finals. As a third-year player, he gets the ball at the top of the key. He takes a breath. He does a shimmy and jacks the three and nails it to complete the play. It was so remarkable, they had to ask him about the play in the post-game press conference about why Trey Young did that. I gotta ask you about right before you hit that three, you hit your little shimmy, what was, what was going through your mind then, what were you trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of time, I had a lot of time, and uh, I was kind of tired uh, a little bit, so I, had to, I got a little second to get a deep breath and, um, and knock it down. No, that wasn't a deep breath. That was announcing that we are here and we don't care about the deer. Okay? That was, you do whatever you want to do, but I'm doing me. This is what we do. This is what Atlanta is. And while you all think that we're getting run over and getting swept or getting beaten five, this is not how we're playing this. This is not the way we're approaching this series. We're not here to participate the Atlanta Hawks are doing the Conor McGregor. We are here to take over. And I'm in love with this. Now, I want the Suns to win it all because I want Chris Paul to get a ring. So I am biased to that story, and I want Phoenix to win tonight. I'm on them minus one. Go up 3-0, win, advance to the NBA Finals, and I would love Phoenix to win it all. I am all in on the Suns. 
but I am going to be really conflicted if Atlanta gets past Milwaukee in watching Trey Young and watching this team. John Collins is a baller. That dude is so underrated. I've been betting his player props all season because the dude in big games is good for 15 every game. Like he's just good for 15. He can hit threes. He guards Giannis. He's inside. He's outside. He rebounds. He's long. He's athletic. He gets out on the break. He's so underrated. We don't give that guy enough run for how good he has been. And we don't give Nate McMillan enough praise either for what he has done with this franchise, how he turned the entire season around, and how he's created this juggernaut now where mentally they are never worried. They never get concerned. After the game, the head coach of the, of the Hawks talked about the mental makeup of his team. We've built ourselves to be able to play on the road. And, you know, I've, I've told them that, that, you know, they're built for this. And, you know, again, tonight we got off to somewhat of a slow start. I thought we just needed to get our second win. Looked like we were, uh, uh, just was uh, running in mud that first quarter. And uh, we just stay with it, continue to stay with it. We kind of got a rhythm, found out what they were doing defensively. We were able to uh, take advantage of some matchups. You know, defensively, we brought the defense to the floor again in the second half and was able to uh, come up with big stops. But they really just kept their poise, kept their composure for the full 48 minutes, which is uh, what is required uh, in these playoff games. Remember when Trey Young came into the league? And everybody said that you can't build a franchise around a six foot one guard in the NBA. Remember that? <laughs> well, I kind of feel the same way now about everyone saying that it was going to be the Hawks in four, sorry, the Bucks in four or the Bucks in five, that Atlanta didn't have enough firepower to hang on and stop with the three point shooting. And maybe they don't, okay? Maybe this is all an overreaction to one game and, you know, maybe they lose the next four. And they get swept out of the next four. And Milwaukee just hits. Chris Middleton is on fire for four games and destroys Atlanta. Maybe. But I don't think so. Because right now, already, you have a top six all-time first NBA playoff performance going, according to Elias, for Trey Young. And he's got at least four games left, if not more, games to score. He scores 48 points last night, and much like the Philadelphia 76ers, where Doc Rivers had to go back to the drawing board after game one to try to come up with an idea of how to stop Trey Young, same thing now happens for Mike Boonholzer, who has to go and try to figure out how do you stop Trey Young, and what are you comfortable doing? Can you double? Who are you comfortable playing with? I mean, Brooke Lopez is out of water, man. That was maybe the best coaching situation we saw last night was the big the big lineup for the Bucks isn't going to work. It's just not going to work against the Hawks. They're going to go small and they're going to run Lopez off the floor and they're going to make it impossible for him to play. They're going to make it impossible for Giannis to stand out there and just jack threes and Bogdanovich scored four points last night. His knees banged up, okay? He's he's not healthy. But he scored four points on one of six shooting. Took only two threes. We know what that guy can do when the knee's feeling good. 
We know what he's capable of. So while you might go, we got Chris Middleton. We're good. When Middleton comes back, Middleton's not going to shoot as poorly as he did in game number one. He's not going to score, you know, Middleton scored 15 points on 6 of 23 shooting. He was 0 for 9 from behind the three-point line. That's not going to happen again. Okay, but is Bogdanovich going to play 27 minutes and only score four points? I don't know. I doubt it. Gallinari was great again. Nine points for him. Hit a big three, a step back three. And Trey Young only hit four three-pointers. He was four of 13 last night and still scored 48 points. That's got to be the big concern for Milwaukee is what happens when the dude has a night where he's hitting seven of 13 threes. He was 10 of 12 from the free throw line. And just like the series, just like the games against Philadelphia, Trey Young is getting to the foul line, consistently drawing fouls, consistently getting himself the opportunity to score at the free throw line. He was a plus 10 last night, and he had 11 assists on top of that. There were a lot of people who laughed that the Hawks were going to get run out and it was going to be over including Charles Barkley, who last night, well, his compatriots at TNT let him have it. So, I don't know if, if, if uh, should I take this? Uh, okay, sure. That's, that's, more like a, that's more like a wounded hawk. Uh, and they're far from that. Uh, it, would it be okay if I if I took this post-it note off of here? I, not only would I be able to see Shaq better, but it also says, Charles says, Bucks, Bucks in four. four. Um, I think we can take that down. Well, yeah. we'll just keep it up there for giggles. No, I put it, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll just keep it up there for giggles. Because that's what people thought. It's a two-time MVP against a first-time playoff Eastern Conference player in Trey Young. It's 6'11 against 6'1. Right? Mismatch. What everyone is missing with this Hawks team, Capella, Herter, Collins, Gallinari, Williams, they may never do this again, but they are playing so well as a unit. They are playing such incredible team basketball. The ball movement, the defensive switches, the overall communication these guys have on the floor together, the sum of their parts could very well be better than the Milwaukee Bucks. And the Atlanta Hawks could very well be hashing one, if not both, those big tickets to win the Eastern Conference and to win the NBA championship. It's not that far-fetched. Our weekly chat with Ben Brown from PFF next on Pushing the Odds. Expert perspective. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Listening to Pushing the Odds. Live from Las Vegas, here's Matt Peralt. It is Pushing the Odds. Time for our weekly conversation. Let's talk to our guy, Ben Brown from. 
PFF as we get into where we're going in the NFL. Ben on the uh, joins here on Pushing the Odds. Ben Matt Peralta, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful. Appreciate your time. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the Carl Nassib situation. And here in Vegas, it was a one word or one sentence line I'm gay, and that changed everyone. Everyone went, whoa, he's the number one selling jersey at Fanatics. The president was tweeting about him yesterday. In terms of where you think he goes in productivity wise, does this change the Nassib story at all to you? Does it make him more high profile, less high profile? Or, you know, does he does he increase productivity? What does this do from an analytical standpoint, if anything, that he now is the first openly gay player? Um, yeah, that is that is really a question, right? I haven't thought a ton about that angle of the thing. I do think, just in general, I mean, obviously, it's a great thing, right? I mean, you'd love to see it. Um, just with him coming out, what he said, I thought it was really impactful, and kind of like what you mentioned on top jersey sales. I don't see that letting up anytime soon from a production standpoint. I do think, you know, he could be in a good spot. He has played, you know, decently well. What did he play? 461 total snaps last year. Uh, pretty productive. So I think that he is only going to continue to improve uh, year five, basically, coming up into the league. So I think from a production standpoint, he's going to be a guy that uh, they really rely on to pressure the quarterback. And I think, um, you know, the support that he's going to have around him, I think, is probably only going to make him play uh, better as well. So I think, you know, in general, being excited for what he can accomplish both on and off the field, uh, it's a big step in the right direction for the NFL in general. Uh, you know, obviously, people think back to, like, the whole Michael Sam thing in 2014. That probably didn't play out like people expected. Um, and just, you know, kind of the ways that the league has moved forward, I do think it's done really well. Obviously, we have a lot ways, to, lot of ways to go still, but I do think him coming out, getting the support that, you know, we all appreciate and the teammates around him kind of supporting him coming out, uh, being that first player to kind of cross, you know, make that happen. I do think it has a really significant impact on the NFL. So I love to see it. I do think he's going to be a successful player on the defensive end for the Raiders. And I think, you know, we're going to see him continue to dominate the Jersey Stars, which I think is only a great thing as well. How do you feel about the Raiders next year? So their win total is six and a half. I've gone through their season a couple different times, and I totally understand the difficulty of the division and the difficulty in the games that they're going to wind up playing. But, you know, I think they've made some nice adjustments and made some nice additions. I'm not as negative and down as on Derek Carr as a lot of people are from a talent perspective. But what's your outlook on Las Vegas next year? Yeah, I mean, just from, like, a betting perspective compared to what we have in our, you know, betting predictive models, we are actually – uh, really high on the Raiders as a team in general. Part of that is due to the fact that the market's kind of baking into this idea that the Broncos are going to end up with a really high-profile quarterback. I know we've talked about both Aaron Rodgers and Sean Watson. I don't think that looks very likely at this point in time, and obviously that's going to help the Raiders quite a bit. Of course, they still have the Chiefs. We did see them, you know, beat the Chiefs last year, basically, the only regular season game the Chiefs lost. I think from that perspective, the Raiders kind of have this range of outcomes where they could be really good. We've seen Derek Carr at his ceiling be, you know, a really, really strong quarterback in the NFL, be able to make basically every throw on the football field uh, and make it really accurately. So I think if the, you know, the receivers step up, Brian Edwards, if they get a lot more production from Henry Ruggs in year two, he turns into more than just like a deep threat decoy. Uh, I think that they could challenge for the second spot in the AFC West. And I think from there they're, you know, looking like a potential playoff spot. So I like over six and a half a lot. I think that's a bet that I've talked about quite a bit. We've seen it move up to seven in some spots. So if you still have six and a half, I do like going over their win total quite a bit. 
I'm with you. I, I think that winning seven games is, is a really strong wager. And how are you overall, because we're trying to quantify this here in Vegas. So we have, we have this gorgeous new stadium that we've never seen 65,000 in it yet. Mm-hmm. We're going to come up on Monday night on the 13th of September when they open the stadium, I guess kind of for real technically, when we can have a full house and we're going to have 65,000 fans finally at Allegiant Stadium for the Raiders. But overall, how are you going to approach home field this year in the NFL? Is it going to go back to what it once was, or are we dealing with you know pandemic type of, okay, we're not giving the traditional three points to the home team? Yeah, and I definitely think we saw that kind of move back towards like the zero number uh, from three points just even before 2020 kind of happened. I think obviously 2020 had a drastic impact. I think from a betting model perspective, you almost have to throw a lot of the results and things that you saw from 2020 season out the window at that point in time. I do think we're going to get back to normal. Um, there are obviously some, some things that impact a little bit more. I'm thinking of Seattle. Uh, places like that where home field advantage obviously has a decent impact on it. Other places don't have a- as much of an impact. So the Raiders kind of being this, you know, basically the team with the new stadium, how well that transitions. I do think there's this mentality that uh, they're going to be a really popular destination tourist spot for t- visiting teams basically on the road, right? Like a lot of people are going to want to go to Vegas. They're going to yeah. want to cheer for their teams. They're going to want to gamble and stuff like that. So maybe their home field advantage won't be as significant as playing in Seattle where every single person in that stadium is going to be a Seattle Seahawks fan. So I think from that perspective, it may not be as big of an impact um, right away for the Raiders, but I don't really think home field advantage in general is probably um, something that we're going to be able to evaluate really well starting off in 2021 as well. Yeah, I think that's a good a good read. I mean, in year one of the Vegas Golden Knights, it was 80-20. In year two, it was, it was 100%. And they initially had thought they were going to allow rival fans in, and then they stopped because they realized they could sell out just to Vegas people and they didn't need the rival fans to come in. Still, rival fans do get tickets, but not the way that it was in year one. Yeah. 65,000, kind of a different story. There's only 18,000 tickets available for hockey. This is 65,000 tickets. It's four times the size. Mm -hmm. So there's more tickets available in the secondary market for rival fans to come in. So I'm I'm really curious to see how – you know, is there going to be a home field advantage for Vegas, and and how do they perform in front of those home fans? You know, does it give them an extra boost, or, or or where do they go? What do you make of Derek Carr in sort of a make or break type of year for the Raiders? Is that fair that this is a really important year for him to show he can take the teams of the postseason? Yeah, I do. I do agree with that assessment one percent. I do think it's make or break for Derek Carr. He might not have you know as good offensive weapons as people want to cater to, but Darren Wall is basically what top two, top three tight end in the league at this point in time. Uh, they have young emerging playmakers on the outside, depth at running back, so um, a pretty good offensive line basically at this point in time. So I think what we need to see from Derek Carr is him to actually to elevate them over the top, like he did in that Chiefs game last year. Maintain that throughout the whole regular season, and if that happens. Uh, they're going to be in contention for a playoff spot, and at that point, anything can happen, basically. Right? So I do think that this is definitely a make-or-break year. If things go off the rails, we're going to see Marcus Mariota a little bit more, uh, probably you know, transition in the latter half of the season. I think we won't see Derek Carr again in a Raiders uniform. I don't actually think that's how the scenario is going to play out. I think right. Derek Carr is going to be successful this year. Um, and, you know, they're a team that I'm definitely buying into, probably more than any other team at this point in time in the futures market, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm arguing with people like crazy. I'm with you. You find six and a half, jump on that. Because I, I think right. seven and ten is seven and ten. That's not a good year. <laughs> That's not a good season mm-hmm. to go to go seven and ten. But I think it's very much in the cards for the Raiders to go, you know, to get eight, nine wins this year. 
uh, even in that very difficult division. They won at Arrowhead last year and beat Kansas City, like you mentioned. All right, so tight end university, Ben, was put on this week by George Kittle, and he did it with other players, Greg Olson, trying to elevate and trying to bring attention to the tight end position. I saw an interview with him on ESPN, which I found kind of interesting. George Kittle said that any quality team in the NFL right now has a successful tight end, and it will be that way for a very long time. Do you agree with that? To win in the NFL, you have to have high productivity out of your tight end? Um, I I don't think that it's necessarily a true statement to say that all the teams that won last year had a high-quality tight end. I'm thinking about teams like Buffalo Bills, basically, at this point. I mean, you can say what you will about, you know, even Rob Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski in the latter half of his career with the Buccaneers. But um, I think if you have that tight end, it's a significant differentiated from what other teams have. Um, but there's only a couple of really, really good tight ends that can catch the ball, be really dynamic, and also you know, contribute some in the run blocking game as well and a little bit in patch, pass protection. So if you have that guy, he obviously elevates you, but you still need to pay him as well. So I think there are probably ways to get around not having you know, Travis Kelsey, basically, George Kittle. Uh, we've seen some teams do it, basically. I think the Rams are somewhat successful doing it with just a guy like Jared Everett at this point in time, uh, the Bills as well. So I don't buy into it too much um, because it's a position where you can kind of, you might be signaling, you know, what your intentions are as far as, far as pass and versus run if you're swapping in guys in tight end position. But um, I do still think there's probably a lot of ways to cater to not having that top line talent. So I don't necessarily agree with Travis Kelsey um, or George Kittle on that, even though I probably agree with everything else he says. So. Because, yeah, because my, my thought on that was, wait, are we talking about a tight end who does everything a tight end's supposed to do? Or are we talking about a right. slot receiver who's just a big weapon, a big target in the red zone, right? Because some tight right. ends block. But a lot of them don't. A lot of them are just wideouts that are called tight ends, right? Right. And a lot of the a lot of the play design underneath, especially from the slot position, is schematic fits and you know route trees, route combinations, stuff like that, and manufacturing guys getting open. So what we've seen is, if you want to draft a wide receiver, you want him to be able to win on the outside because that's the most predictive thing going forward. Uh, there are some things that you can do when, with slot receivers and now with tight ends. Uh, to manufacture them getting open either underneath or over the middle. So I think from that perspective, it's just not as valuable um, paying top-end dollars for a guy who maybe isn't going to live up to that point. So that's kind of the fear that you have. Obviously, if you have Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, that's not necessarily a concern. Even Darren Waller at that point in time. But even when you have those guys, you still need the auxiliary pieces uh, around them as well to at least take the top somewhat off the defense. And I think that's what you know, going back to what the Raiders really need uh, from guys like Brian Edwards and Henry, Henry Ruggs this season to be really successful in that offense. Any shot Tim Tebow's on the Jaguars come opening day? <laughs> I don't think so, to be honest with you. I haven't really thought it since day one. Uh, you know, taking his unders is obviously a scary proposition with the juice at this point in time, but I think that it's going to be really difficult for them to justify having him on the 52-man roster. So I think he's going to be uh, on the outskirts looking in. Speaking of Jacksonville, what is your thought process? What is your evaluation right now going into the year with number one pick overall, Trevor Lawrence? He's got weapons. I mean, mm-hmm. are they right back next year at the top of the draft? Or they may, could they win a couple of games or two and, and maybe be you know, shock a couple of good teams, maybe win four or five games next year? Yeah, I mean, I think they're going to be better than expected as well. I am buying into teams like the Raiders, Jaguars, and Bengals in the AFC. Um, I think those are one of those two teams. I think it's going to take a significant step. Obviously, the Raiders don't have as in a quarterback as the Jaguars or Bengals, but I do like both those offenses quite a bit. Um, my one concern with the Jaguars specifically is Urban Meyer. If he's going to allow 
Um, you know, some of the things that Trevor Lawrence needs in that offense to actually occur if they're just going to rely on, you know, Travis Etienne, James Robinson, you know, trying to stretch the field a little bit with those guys. But if they have they have playmakers on the outside, right? I've been a deep, big DJ Chark fan since the beginning. They have Lavishka Chenault as well. A little bit banged up last year in his rookie season, but he was a really dynamic playmaker at Colorado as well. So I think you've been looking at some of these teams, you know, bottom-dwelling teams to make a leap. I'm really, really expecting the Jaguars and Bengals to be um, sitting in the teams you know, maybe next year on the doorstep of the playoffs at this point in time, from my perspective. Mm. It's going to be really interesting to see if that injury mm-hmm. to his hamstring stunts his development at all as he gets to training camp and ha- what the Jaguars are able to put in in year one uh, under, under with Trevor Lawrence under center. Benjamin, good stuff, man. Thanks for the time. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Matt. Have a good show. That is Ben Brown at PFF underscore Ben Brown joining us here on Pushing the Odds. Look, a lot of people tell me I'm nuts. And they say you're in Vegas, so of course you're going to say that about the Raiders. I, I just, I'm telling you, if you can find six and a half, they went eight and eight last year. We're adding another game to the schedule. I fully get that people are like, man, it, it's it's the Raiders, it's the Chargers and the Broncos. You know, where are the easy wins here? And look, their their win total was seven and a half last year. And if it wasn't for that win against Denver on the road that was somewhat fortuitous, they don't cover that seven and a half. Yep, I I agree with that point. But I bet them over seven and a half wins, and I got there last year. I cashed that Raiders over seven and a half. You find a six and a half, bet the over. I'm serious. Raiders are going to win seven, eight, nine games next year. And I think Carr is going to be good next year. I think the weapons he's got, I I, I really do believe that the Derek Carr and the Raiders are going to be a 500 team next year around it. More next year. Pushing the odds. Are you thinking some artists work in clay, some in oils? We SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Here's Matt Peralt. It's pushing the odds here on a Thursday. If you are listening on SiriusXM, you're going to get lunchtime with line makers. Brian Blessing will have a ton, I'm sure, on the game tonight for Vegas and Montreal. We on Sports Map will continue on for two more hours. We'll get to Dave Sherapan. We missed him during the first hour for the Bostonian versus the Bucks. We will have that coming up in the next hour to do that. So we can definitely make sure that we bring Dave on in, uh, in Philadelphia. So looking forward to grabbing a hold of him. Uh, in the next hour, Papa Bear comes on as well for his weekly pick segment here for a typical traditional Thursday for us here for pushing the odds. I really, really hope the Suns win tonight, and I- I'm on them minus one. It's not, you know, I- 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 I've been saying this today. I'm on the over, and I'm on the Suns. Both those picks are going to be very public. I understand. I get why people are saying that game three it's going to be similar to game two. I just disagree. I think at home, I think we see more three-point shots going down for the Clippers, and I think we see a more a game that looks a lot more like game one than game than game two. And I think the Clippers tried to change it up a bit. I think they tried to slow it down, and 
it didn't work. And so I, I think even though they don't have Kawhi Leonard, you can say, well, they don't want to get into a shootout with the with the Suns. Suns play slower when they've got Chris Paul on the court. He just he's a he's a control factor for them. He keeps them in proper rhythm. They don't get crazy. They you know Suns play much fat much faster with Devin Booker on the court. I, I just think that Phoenix is going to come out. I think Booker has a big game tonight after he didn't play all that well in game two. I think he bounces back. Maybe not a triple double like in game one, but I think having Chris Paul back to set him up is huge. I think Chris Paul tonight. His assist prop, I would take a look at that and see you know, where the juice is going to be on that. But I think Chris Paul is going to be everywhere tonight after missing two games. And by the sounds of it, he did not have symptoms for COVID. He was asymptomatic with COVID. And that means he's been sitting there watching his teammates play in the postseason. And this dude has never played in the NBA Finals. And he knows he's two wins away from the NBA Finals. I think Chris Paul has a monster impact on the game tonight. I like the Suns maybe big tonight, and I'm taking the over. Over 220.5 for Clippers, Suns, Suns minus one. For XM folks, we're back tomorrow. For Sports Map folks, two more hours to come next year. I'm pushing the odds. Lost in a sea of stats, averages, and injury reports? It's okay. Breathe. You found it. Sports gaming strategies and info. This is the Sports Grid Radio Network. Coming at you all day. Every day. With more attitude than other lesser networks would deem appropriate.